Amen. So grab your seats and uh, buckle up. Check that all of your equipment is in order. Say hi to your neighbor. Say hi, neighbor. Tommy, say hi to this guy. He's over here by himself all alone. Just say hello, right? Let him know that he's welcome even though he's over here all by himself. Hey, guys, there's a whole table up here available with a table and chairs and handouts and a place to sit your coffee and a really nice gentleman sitting over here all by himself who would like some company. Chris, you may have gone a little bit too far the other way. Ooh. All right, so I don't, want, I don't want our sponsors to get too comfortable, so if you guys would rise and shine, I'm going to have you all come up to the front of the room for me and uh, just gather up here uh, somewhere on this side of the blue tape. Sponsors, come on up. Come on. Come on. You know who you are. Give them a hand. Come on. All of you. Every one of you. Every one of you. Come on. Come on, keep coming. See this blue tape? You have to be on this side of the blue tape. You have to be on this side of the blue tape or the folks at home can't see you. All right, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Yep, right here, yep. Matter of fact, some of you can kind of come on over this far if you need to. Come on, yep, Kelly, come on, get in here. All right, so, you know, I was thinking about this and, uh, let me go back to my little sponsor. Why is my Chris? There we go. Okay, so you guys need to know, and, and I've, I've praised them a lot in the past, but I'm going to tell you this morning I had an epiphany. Tis the season for epiphanies, right? That was good. <laughs> da, 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 right? So I had an epiphany, and it was that uh, there's a reason certain people have a tendency to align with each other or to congregate or to, I don't know, just relate, right? And, and I'm, you never know what that is exactly, but if you do a little self-examination, one of the things I realize is that we are very relational in how we do business. There are some businesses out there, you know who they are, who are transactional, right? You do business with them, they do business with you, and you move on your own separate way, yeah? That's a transaction. And then there are people who you do business with and you like them and you go, you know what, even though I don't really need your service anymore or we're not hanging out because I don't need tires anymore, you kind of like the person, right? And so the next time you need that kind of service, you go back to them, not because of necessarily the service, but because of the relationship, yeah? Every single one of these folks are relational people. They're relational businesses. Their organizations are relational. And so what happens is when they come up here, their goal is to have a relationship with people. And then if people need what they have transactionally, they can certainly do that. Does that make sense? Right? So I just want you guys to know that from, from us to you, we appreciate and we honor and we celebrate the relationship that we have with you. So can we give all of these guys an amazing round of applause and appreciate them for doing what they do every day, right? Um, I know that many of them have open houses at their communities. I think Bradford's is today. Is anybody else's today? Uh, Spanish Cove? couple of weeks. Okay, so I know a lot of them have open houses for the holidays coming up, so please make sure you visit all of the different tables to make sure you pick up materials. 
Uh, I've talked to several of them and noticed that there are articles on different tables about today's topic and some other different topics that are relevant. I would encourage you to pick those up. But more than anything, if you haven't done it yet this year, and I know some of you come to every seminar, if you haven't done it yet and you're comfortable doing it, I would love for you to go up and give each one of these folks a hug today. Because let me tell you something, they work really hard and they give a lot of their time, energy, and effort, and a hug just feels really good. If you don't feel okay with a hug, a high five, a fist bump, an elbow bump is perfectly fine too, or just a, from a distance, blow a kiss like my little Eli does. He's one. He goes, mwah, right? That works too, doesn't it? All right, good deal. So again, um, and from you guys to them, could we just give them a round of applause for everything that they do, right? And... Uh, and I just want to appreciate you guys. Wish you a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and thanks for being here. We love you. And by the way, they're all coming back next year for sponsors. Yay? Awesome. Yep. We are changing up the terminology a little bit. There'll be a few new things in 2022 that you might want to know about. These guys won't be sponsors anymore. They'll be education partners. Education partners. Um, we changed the term because we felt like it really spoke to what it's all about for us, which is education, right? Um, they're, they financially contribute to making these uh, events possible so that they're still free for the audience. But at the end of the day, it's really about education, so we're changing that up. A couple of other little quick housekeeping items uh, that you need to know about. We're not going to be broadcasting virtually starting in January. Um, it's going to be live here only, so if you want to attend, sorry those of you at home, we need you to put your tennis shoes on and your big girl clothes and your big boy clothes and come out and see us. I know it's nice to be able to do it in your pajamas, but we kind of feel like life needs to get back to life. And one of the things that I think people have taken for granted in the past and through COVID what we realize is that we need human connection, yeah? We need it. And when we get in the habit of hibernating or being alone for too long, it's not good for our health and it's not good for our psyche. And so we would encourage you to make sure that you come out. And we will record still. So if you miss it, then you can still access it. About a week or so later, Chris will have it edited and posted to the website. So you can still watch it if you miss it but it just won't be live, virtual, while we're doing it. A um, couple of other quick announcements. Some of you have said, Paul and them said this morning that you know they saw us on TV. Well, we've been doing television uh, commercials all year long, both for our business, but also for the seminars, and that will also stop in January. Um, we're gonna go back to the Oklahoman, and we'll be advertising in there uh, twice a month with an ad, and once a quarter, uh, we'll be doing an educational piece. So watch for us in the Oklahoman. And also, we're, we're trying out the Friday. Does anybody here take the Friday paper? Yeah, a few people, okay. We're thinking of trying out the Friday. We ran an ad in uh, December. Did anybody notice the ad in the December piece? Yeah, okay, you guys did, good. So um, we would love your feedback on better ways that we can get the word out. And then last but not least, um, you're in front of you at your table, there's the uh, schedule for next year has been put out, 
Uh, it's the schedule for next year. It does not have the new, new education partners on it yet because we have some new folks that are going to be joining us. We'll put out the official schedule um, professionally printed and with the sponsors on it and everything for January. You'll probably get that in the mail. So make sure we have your current address so we can get that to you. Um, and you also have a, a 2021 evaluation form. 2021 evaluation form. Can everybody find that for me? And the reason we gave you that is instead of doing an evaluation for today's seminar, what I decided was I really wanted to know what you thought about the whole thing. So we'd love to have your feedback about that. Take you a little bit longer to fill that out. So if you can fill it out today and leave it with us at the end, that would be wonderful. Uh, if you don't have, uh, feel like you need to put more thought into it or don't have time today, if you fill it out, you can either send it to us in an email or you're welcome to mail it back to us uh, or let us know that you have it and we'll get it from you, okay? One way or the other, we want your feedback. And uh, is that all the housekeeping I've got, Chris? Is there anything else? No? Okay. All right, good. Any questions from the audience about the housekeeping? I hope not, because that's all I got for you. All right, good deal. <laughs> okay, so today's topic, we changed it up a bit. Um, is there anybody here that came for the topic on building or buying your forever home, and you're going to be uber disappointed when I tell you that that's not what we're talking about? I know. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? Okay, so we, you know, I created that topic over a year ago, and the closer we got to it, the more I realized that um, I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> um, and it's not that it's not an interesting topic, but here's the thing. That's something that is so personal and so individual that I'm not really sure doing a program like this would be relevant to everybody. So Shannon and I talked and our team talked, and we decided that that's more of a personal conversation. So we're happy to visit with you if that's something that you want to talk about. We're happy to visit with you about that in person. We are going to talk a little bit about it today in today's talk uh, on a general scale. And then afterward, if you have specific questions on that, feel free to come up and we're happy to talk about it. All right, but otherwise, we're going to be talking about the truth about the life after retirement, finding renewed purpose, finding renewed purpose. Um, is anybody in the room with, in what they feel like they're calling a transition? A transition. Like you're going from one phase of life to another, one thing in life to another. Um, so those of you who are moving, like Martha's moving, she's in transition. You guys are in transition, right? Well, what we realized a long time ago as working with real, in real estate for 25 plus years is that when people are moving, they're in transition, right? They're moving from one house to another. But there are lots of reasons people are in transition, not just because they're moving. Maybe because they're retiring. Maybe because they're unretiring, right? They're going back to work. Um, maybe they have a loss of a loved one, a spouse or another family member. Um, they could be a caregiver, and now they're not a caregiver anymore, or they're becoming a caregiver, having not been one in the past. Um, lots of transitions, right, people go through at all ages, all stages of life. There are books, uh, books and books and books and volumes written on people going through transition. And the more that I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, we're not trained for that. Have you guys ever gone to a training on transitions and how to do it effectively? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. We just have to suck it up and do it, right? Well, the interesting thing is I'm teaching a class at um, SNU. 
I was honored enough to be asked to come back and teach there. I graduated there twice through their adult studies program. And when I told Delilah Joyner Martin that I wanted to teach there, she tried to plug me into a, a, a topic that she thought would most suit me, and it's called personal and professional development. And it's essentially teaching middle-aged people, mostly 25 is the youngest you have to be to be in that program. You can be as, uh, at any age on the upper end, but the average age is in people in their 30s usually. I have one gentleman in my class, he's the outlier, he's 60, and he's in transition. And here's what I mean by that. Um, his company told him, he's been there a long time, he's a manager, his company told him that he would need to get a degree if he wanted to be moved up. He's in transition, right? He's either transitioning up or transitioning out. So he decided to go back to college and get his degree. So people are in different phases in this class, and there's actually a book that uh, is the textbook for this class. And it was funny because some of the students were irritated because this is the textbook. It's called Life Forward charting the journey ahead and it's written by a lady who is actually a life coach and a business coach uh, and a spouse her spouse I understand is a clinician of some sort um, in some sort of helping field and I forget which but it's this little bitty tiny book right now I think I paid well I, I got a free one of course as an instructor but I also bought several and gave them away I think they were $15 or $18 or something like that $20 the students paid I think probably closer to 200 because it's a textbook same book different price isn't that interesting right the world we live in when they I, I should never have said in class you should buy these for your friends they're only $20 and they went what what, what did you just say oops so but in this book we're going to talk about a lot of the content today but I want to share with you why it's relevant, and we'll kind of go through it uh, step by step as we talk about our purpose and what is our purpose, right? So have you ever noticed that there are some people that when you say to them, hey, let's do this, or let's think about this, or let me share something with you, they go, yeah, tell me, right? What's next? What, what's going on? They get really excited about it, right? Yeah, let's do it, or tell me more. And then there are some people who you tell them something and they kind of look like this. <laughs> right? And they go, what is the point? Why would I do that? Have you lost your mind? Have you no sense? Right? There's this, there are those people who are, we know it, half gla glass half full and glass half empty is the metaphor that we've kind of, you know, given certain people. And women and men equally share these characteristics, but what we don't know is why some people are more prone to live life fully and happily, and others are more prone to just kind of live or get by, right? Now, again, as always, I say I'm kind of preaching to the choir here because you're here because you're life learners right? You're here because you're probably a half glass full type of person, or you wouldn't be here, but you probably have friends and family members and sisters-in-laws and brothers-in-laws that are more like 
these people. And we have to deal with those people, don't we? We have to tolerate them in some cases, and in some cases we have to live with them. And don't hit your, not Martha, do not elbow him. <laughs> do not do it. I saw it coming. <laughs> Spouses in the room are like, oh, she is treading on some shaky ground here. <laughs> right? But if you happen to live with that person, just quietly listen to today's talk, and hopefully they'll make some progress. But if not, you can set up a counseling appointment. I have plenty of people I can recommend. All right. But why? Why are some people more one way than the other? Well, so here's something else I learned in teaching the class that I'm teaching and also the psychology class at UCO. Guys, we are working off of old information. Ooh, I hope I didn't move that table too much. We're working off of old information. These are just three textbooks off of my bookshelf of many. Like many of you, I collect books because I like them and I read them and then I hang on to them for reference. I've gotten written, uh, rid of many. These are just a few. This one is called Successful Aging, Perspectives from the Behavioral Sciences, written by two very... Um, prominent psychologists and researchers. This one is Aging and Older Adulthood, third edition. I looked at the first and second editions. They're not much different than the third. And then this one, Theories of Aging, second edition handbook, written by four uh, different researchers and uh, people from the field of psychology, all PhDs, all very smart people, very smart people right? And because everybody with a PhD is very smart, that's what they tell me, right? That's why I got one. And uh, I learned that you're only smart about one topic. That's not, that's not what they told me. They just said very smart. They didn't say you're only smart about one topic. Okay. So now from that, what I learned is that all of those textbooks were written by people like this. When were those people born? A long time ago. Not that that's a bad thing, but guess what? There aren't any textbooks written by people who were born much after that. And in one textbook that I have right now in general psychology, it literally says in the textbook, after talking about Sigmund Freud, it literally says most of his theories have been disproven over the years. And then my question is, then why are we still talking about them? But we are. And people are still operating off of old information that has long since been disproven, but for whatever reason, the universities keep putting that crap in their curriculum. And I say crap because here's the deal. If it's not relevant anymore, why are we teaching it? Well, I didn't. I skipped that part in my textbook class. I told them that this was not really relevant. They needed to know about it because it's not relevant, and so we're going to talk about why it's not relevant, and then we're going to move on. And they all kind of went, huh? <laughs> They'll get it later, 20 or 30 years from now. So then I started looking at what are some of the books and things out there, because in, that, in those textbooks, here's what we get. Uh, we have been studied as human beings for a very long time, right? Can we agree on that? Right? We're being studied as, as human beings. Our development, our stages of life. And here's what they call them. In many cases, they call what we go through in life stages, phases, 
seasons, acts. Now we have the half, first half of life and second half of life. Well, where does that half begin and where does it end? Is it age 50? Is that half? Or 40? Is that half? Or is 35 half? What, how do we decide what half is which? And then, like I said, there's seasons. This is one of my favorite authors, Jim Rohn. He's a motivational speaker, um, not PhD. He's, I think he's way smarter than most of those PhDs I read about. And he talks about life in seasons. And then back to uh, the, the, the people that I put on the screen earlier. So Eric Erickson in the middle, the younger guy, um, he, he lived to be, what is that, 92? Yeah. And his wife lived to be 93 or 4, I think. And she wrote a book after he passed, or ra around the time he was in his fa final years, that basically says that the eight stages that they originally wrote about, and Chris and I joke about this because he gets all the credit, and she did most of the work. Um, she did the writing. He did the thinking. But her name's not anywhere to be found until later when she wrote this little book called The Life Cycle Completed. And she was honoring his legacy by saying, look, he, he said that they got it wrong. They got it wrong. There are more than eight stages. Matter of fact, originally there were only seven stages. They added the eighth stage as they got older. And then as they reached their 90s, they realized there should be yet another stage. Isn't that interesting? So we're teaching people in textbooks about eight stages, and the only reason we're teaching them about eight stages is because none of the theorists had lived long en enough yet to write about the ninth stage. <laughs> so no wonder, Marilyn, no wonder our young people think that life ends at 70. 73? Oh, 40. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, and so with this, I, this little book, I started reading it uh, back when I was in school, and I picked it back up again and did some highlighting. And what I realized is that uh, his wife was brilliant. I mean, a brilliant writer. Really, really well written. If you ever get a chance to pick this up, it's called The Life Cycle Completed by Eric Erickson extended version with new chapters on the ninth stage of development by Joan Erickson. Now, this I can is not in any textbook. It's not. There's no textbook do they talk about the ninth stage. And so we're operating off of these old these old paradigms about aging. And so what makes us age more successfully? This is the one thing in the literature that is actually still continues through today with the new research. But they, they indicate that there are four major things that help people transition and as they age. And this is through retirement and through any other issues. But one is a positive outlook. If you have a positive outlook, you're going to age better, right? That stands to reason. Two, conscientiousness. If you're paying attention, Right? If you're monitoring what's going on in your life and what's going on in your world and you're taking action on it. The third one, a strong support system. Now this one, sometimes we have more control, sometimes we have less control over, right? 
but a strong support system is required as we age. It's also required when we're raising kids, right? When we're raising, I lo just lost my mic. So, can you help me? Huh? I just, I just lost my mic, so hold that thought. Oh, there it is. I, Chris stood up and it started working. That's how, that's how my wa my life works. Technology, honey, my computer's not working. He gets up and walks across the room. It starts working. Has that ever happened to you guys? Thank you. So, strong support system. My daughter and her her husband and family moved back to to Austin about a year, two years or so ago now, and she had her third child there. And she recently had some health issues. And she called on Tuesday and asked if we could come down because she needed us. <sighs> we really couldn't. I mean, I, we looked at every which way to Cindy, how we can make that work. And I just said, honey, I said, do you have some other people you can rely on? And she said, well, mom, you know, my mother-in-law, but she's not as dependable as you guys. And I said, what I wanted to say was that maybe you shouldn't have moved back to Austin. But I didn't. And I just said, take whatever support you can get and you'll be fine. And then after, you're going to need to have some conversations. We're going to need to talk about how you can expand your social network. Because if you don't have friends there and you got three little kids and a husband that works full time, you need people, right? Well, guess what? The older we get, what do we need? More people, right? That's why villages exist. That's why these senior living communities thrive is because people want to be surrounded by people who can support them. And as we get older, we need more support. And then the fourth one is purpose. People who have purpose, they get up every day and they have a reason for living, tend to do better and age better and live longer. Not to say that grumpy people don't not live long lives. They do. They often just don't live them well. They don't live happily or have health. So getting up in every day and having purpose. So in this book, this little bitty tiny textbook that they charge a ridiculous amount of money for in college, but you can buy on Amazon for $20, she comes up with four new rules, four new rules for living. Now, some of these aren't going to sound really new, but they're new in terms of what's being taught. And so I want to talk about these four rules. The first one is called the circular rule, the circular rule. Life itself is a self-renewing process. And here's a illustration that I snapped right out of the book. Um, and basically that top uh, arrow that's circular or semicircular is a chapter of life okay so rather than thinking of life in phases or stages or seasons which are really long right in my mind she says we have chapters and these chapters are short these chapters are short and sometimes we need to look at the chapter we're in and ask ourselves where are we in this chapter? Are we at the beginning of the chapter? Are we at the end of the chapter? Or are we somewhere in between? Now, in your materials on the back of that handout I gave you, the back of your today's handout, there's a color. You're right there. You're right. Okay. Yeah, there's a four color piece there. Yeah. And 
basically what she's saying is that's the cycle and there's a beginning and an end and then in between the end of one chapter and the beginning of the next chapter is a transition right now this is the same diagram that you have just not in color and there's a couple of things added around the outside of the circle so at the top of the circle you have the beginning of a chapter is where people go for it they're excited they have passion they think okay I'm gonna do this we see this back to the whole forever home when people say I'm gonna sell this house I have the money and the wherewithal I'm gonna go buy my forever home or build my forever home they're excited about it they have passion or they go you know what I just found the most amazing place to live I'm gonna go for it I'm moving there I'm ready to do it they're excited about it okay same thing with anything new that someone gets excited about. They have passion around it. And then what happens is that chapter doesn't stay the same forever. You kind of get what she calls the doldrums. The doldrums. Now, some of you have been married a really long time. You're going, oh, that's what you call that. Well, if you've ever been in a relationship for very long, you do go through the doldrums, right? But if you're committed to that relationship, you have to reinvigorate it, yeah? So you either leave it or you stay and you figure out a way to spice it up or to make it more enjoyable for you. So here's what they say is in the beginning you say, what am I holding on to or what am I letting go of? And then if you're in the doldrums, what happens a lot of times is then you move into what they call, she calls cocooning, cocooning. So the doldrums is like that recognition that, you know what, this chapter, this life, this job, this relationship, this place I live, this hobby, this whatever it is, is no longer fulfilling. And so then we go inward, we cocoon inward, and a lot of times we see this in other people, and I'll see it and I'll think to myself, something's going on with them. Like they're not their normal self. And they might be cocooning. And what cocooning means is they're introspective, right? We're thinking about what's going on. We're thinking, do I want to stay? Do I want to leave? Um, am I, if I'm going to stay, what do I need to do differently? If I leave, what are the consequences? And so on. It's the what's next? What am I going to do? If I'm not doing this, then what? And so what happens is during cocooning, cocooning, by the way, is required so that you can figure out what the next thing is. And then you begin to get ready for that. So there have been people who have said, you know what, I've been, I've been, they'll tell me, Nikki, I've been thinking about making this move for five years. I've known I needed to make it. I've thought I wanted to make it. I just haven't made the decision. But when they make the decision, that's when they transition from cocooning to getting ready. And getting ready means, okay, I've made a decision. I'm going to start planning, I'm going to start talking to people, I'm going to start getting more information, I'm going to go learn about this, right, I'm going to investigate, and then once you've done that, if you've solidified your decision, whatever that decision is about whatever situation you're in, then you move into the go for it stage. And the go for it stage for some people might look like that person, woohoo, let's go for this. For other people it might be, okay, I'm going for it. Like when I'm looking down, like I'm really good on the blue, uh, green slopes, the bunny slopes. The blue slopes, mm, 
what is the next one? Black? Oh, yeah, you can forget that. So I get to the blue, and I go, oh, I'm going for it. And then Chris pushes me, and I go for it. <laughs> That's how that looks, right? But for some people, they go to the blacks, or even or there's something called double blacks or diamonds, or and they go up, and the, there's not even a mountain. It's a cliff. And they just literally fall down the cliff. It's a controlled fall. Those are the people who are like, woohoo, I'm going for it. I'm going, you have lost your mind, right? Well, guess what? Whether you're snow skiing or moving to a senior living community or moving to Dallas or changing jobs or taking on a hobby, you're going to have people that have those same reactions when you say you're going for it, aren't you? Have you lost your mind? You're moving from the comfort of your home that you've lived in for how many years, Martha? 54 years, and you're going to go to Dallas? Have you seen how people drive in Dallas? <laughs> how many people have said that to you so far? A lot. But when you are committed and you've made a decision and you have purpose and you've gone through the stages, you've gone through the doldrums, you've gone through the cocooning, you've done the preparation and you've gotten ready, once you're in the go-for-it phase, most of the time nothing can stop you. Right? You've made a decision. Think back when you were younger. How many of you could name a couple of areas in your life where you went for it and everybody else questions your judgment? And for some of you, that person's sitting right next to you. <laughs> right? And for some of you, it was the job you chose or the career you chose. And for some of you, it was having kids or not having kids. And for some of you, it was where you chose to live or what part of the country you moved to. For some of you, it was little things like... Why are you dressing like that? But all of us have been through that. So you know what it looks like, right? You've, you've experienced it through your whole entire life, and she's calling these chapters. And what's interesting is the more I study this, the more I see it show up in real life. So I bought this little book uh, based on the recommendation of a colleague written by Margit, Margit Novak, M-A-R-G-I-T, Novak, and she lives up in the uh, northeast, I think uh, New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. And she is one of the original founders of the National Association of Senior Move Managers, which is what we belong to, our company belongs to. And I've heard her name, and I've seen her name around. And I don't necessarily um, have a relationship with her. I've seen her from a distance. But when somebody told me to pick up her book, I thought, eh, I don't need another business book. But since it was recommended, I'll buy it. So I put it next to my nightstand. It sat there for a month or two. And finally, one evening, I thought, you know, I'm going to pick that book up. So I read the first chapter. Well, I read the intro. And then I read the first chapter and the introduction. And she says in the introduction that her first, the first part of this book is kind of dedicated to Bubby. B-U-B-B-I-E. Bubby. Bubby was her mother-in-law, and there's a picture of Bubby, and this part one is called The Bubby Chronicles. This book is her book about her life, Margaret's life, starting with, most recently, her being in a caregiving role with her husband for her mother-in-law, Bubby. And she talks about Bubby in short little chapters, about five pages long, 
And one of them is about, just about Bubby. One of them is called Tough Love, because evidently Bubby wasn't terribly easy to like. And then the next one was called Medication Management, because Bubby had some trouble, and they had to help caregive through that. Then they had one called Technology Adoption. That was a fun one, two or three pages only. Then one called Difficult Conversations. And then chapter five is called The Importance of Being Needed. Again, this is about Bubby and about her experience with Bubby. And then now she's moved into part two of her book called Revising My Personal Narrative. Revising My Personal Narrative. These are short chapters of Margaret Novak's life. And what she's done is very interesting how this all weaves together because in teaching this class at SNU, where this is the textbook, because this is not an academic textbook, you have to have something academic in the class in order to make it accredited, college-worthy material, right? So they teach, we teach what's called Kolb's model of learning. And Kolb's model of learning says that we experience something, right? We experience it. We have concrete experience. And then we have reflection upon that concrete experience. We observe it retrospectively. We think about it. We, in, we have insight about it, learning, if you will. And then after that, we then generalize it. We go, oh, I learned that, and it applies to other situations, other people, other experiences. And then lastly, we have an application for it in the future. So that's how most of us manage. Those of you who are managers, right? You did it, and then you reflected on how to do it, and then you taught other people how to do it, right? And then you utilized it for your own future experience. It's a, it's a learning model is all it is. So we taught that, and it goes along with this, and it's so funny, you guys, because... Normally, this time of year, we do a, a Senior Living Truth series topic on leaving a legacy. You guys remember that? We've done those. And I've always struggled with when people say, what's the best way for me to leave a legacy to my kids or my grandkids or my nieces and nephews, right? And I will tell you that I had another epiphany. I'm having lots of those lately. It must be the medication I'm on or something. I'm having lots of epiphanies. So Epiphany, again, teaching this class, these students are going through the exact same thing I went through from 1995 to 1997 in that class, although I remember nothing about the process. I have this little portfolio, this binder, and I went in my closet and I looked for it. And I knew I had it. It says here, compiled May of 1996. Delilah Joyner was the instructor. She's the one who hired me for this class, so she's still there. She, she, she may be retiring soon. I don't know. We'll see. I hope not. But in this portfolio, ha I looked in here, and I go, okay, I have an autobiography. Now, at that time, I was only 26, 26, yeah. And I didn't have much of an autobiography, but I had one. And then I had my three life-learning papers, which is what these students that I'm teaching have to write for my class. And the life-learning papers have to be based on <coughs> adult learning, things they've learned as an adult, 
that they use Kolb's model that I just described to write about it. So I went and I found these papers and I took them to the students and I said, look, I found my life learning papers. Like I had to do the exact same thing you're doing now. And so I understand it. And I read my own papers and I thought, huh. First of all, I thought, I've come a long way. <laughs> and then I thought, my son, that week that I read these papers in November, was turning 30. And he's going through some stuff, right? Relationship stuff, life stuff. And I thought, huh, Christmas gift, birthday gift. So I made photocopies of my three life learning papers and my autobiography from when I was 27 to 30 years old. And I wrapped them in gift paper and I put a bow on them and I gave him a card that said, read at your own risk. <laughs> Do with them what you will after, I don't care. You can shred them, you can trash them, you can keep them. I have no attachment to this. We can either talk about them when you're done or we can not talk about them when you're done. You can tell me you read them or you can not. I will not think about this again once I've given them to you. That's what I told him. So he took them. And he's sweet. He's, he's a good kid. And he said, thanks, Mom. And I thought, yeah, right. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> and knowing what he was going through, I knew he would read them. He is a reader, and he, he is a nice, uh, he's a writer. He's really good at writing. I attribute that to the, to the many times I made him write every time he got in trouble when he was a kid. And so he read those papers. And he told me the other day, he goes, hmm. I was reading your papers, and I was, I was reading them. One of them's titled The Truth, or The Truth. <laughs> you would think that would be true. Wouldn't that be funny? It's not called The Truth. It was called The Philosophy of Parenting was one of them, and the other one was The Philosophy of Marriage and Divorce because I'd just gone through a divorce when I wrote that learn life learning paper, and Caleb was about three. And he said, I was reading the paper, and he said, I was reading it going, yep, that sounds like me. Yeah, I'm definitely like that. I must have gotten that from my dad. I must have that gotten that from my dad. That's more like my mom. Like he was seeing himself in the paper. And I said, so how do you feel about that? He goes, well, I don't know how I feel about it, but at least I know where it came from. Legacy. Legacy. I've never had that kind of depth of conversation with my kids before about that kind of stuff, but I wrote about it, and I'd forgotten I'd written about it. And when I gave it to him, he was able to connect some dots, right? He was able to connect some dots. And now, I can't fix his problems. That's not my job now. He's 30, right? But if I can help him connect some dots to where he can make decisions that are better or different or the same, for that matter, than I did, then all the better, right? It's legacy. That's part of the legacy. How many of you, just out of curiosity, let me take a survey. How many of you journal about your life every day? You journal or every week or regularly, monthly. So how many of you journal? Raise your hand. Journal or write in a diary. Only a few, okay? Any men in the room journal or diary? No? One? Okay, good. You do a little bit. Okay. That used to be something people did on the regular, as I understand it. It was kind of a, a pastime a lot of people did. My mom kept a diary when she was in high school. It was a little bitty, like a pocket diary almost. And it was so hard to read. I remember um, she passed when I was 11, but I inherited it from 
uh, part of the family gave it to me, and her handwriting was itty-bitty tiny, little bitty tiny, and in pencil. I struggled to read it, but it read more like, uh, an, a, like, a, like an itinerary than a reflective thing, right? Like it was more about I did this or I did that or I was with these people, but not here's what happened or here's what I thought about it. These papers were reflective by design. I had to think about the experience, and I had to share what I learned from the experience to get college credit. Could you, just a thought, here it is, it's the holiday season. It may have to be retro, you know, you may have to give them a gift after if you don't have time. But would it be powerful if you did a series of life learning chapters chapters in your book select chapters mind you not every chapter is worthy of an entire documentation but if you were to say to your heirs whoever your people are that you love that you want to make sure they get this information you write hey I got married I joined the military I had kids whatever it is and here's my reflection on that here's what I learned Here's what I'd have done differently if I could do it over, right? Here's what I did well that I'm really proud of. And you're not doing it for the purpose of teaching them. You're doing it for the purpose of them being able to connect the dots. Does that make sense? And I'm just, I just kept thinking to myself, if everybody had a binder like that to give to their grandkids when they turned 30 or when they turned 25 or when they graduated from college how powerful would that be with no expectation and no ties just here it is do with it what you will so I want to go to the next uh, rule that she talks about in her book this one's called the inside out rule I'm not going to spend a lot of time here but I think it's it's relevant in that a lot of people, um, based on the way that life used to be, they made decisions about how they were going to be, who they were going to be, what they were going to do, how they were going to live their life, based on what was basically dictated to them, right? Maybe the church told them, you have to get married. Let's say someone, I'm, I'll use a really controversial topic. Let's say someone got pregnant before they were married. And they were raised in a religious household that said that should not happen. And so instead of the parents saying, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do? They went, oh, my gosh, you're getting married. We don't care that you don't love the guy. We don't care that you don't love the girl. We don't care that you don't even get along. But it's only right that you get married, period. Now, we know people who have done that. And we know that some of it worked out and sometimes it didn't work out. But that was an outside-in rule, okay? That was an outside-in rule. Nowadays, the rule is inside-out. What is your core belief? What does your core uh, values tell you that you should do with this particular decision? Now, some people will say that's bad, that's wrong, we shouldn't do it that way, people don't know any better. Others will say, thank goodness we've come to a place where people get to decide for themselves. Now, I don't, I'm not taking sides. I'm just telling you that the younger people growing up now that are in their 30s, like my kids, their rule that they've grown up with is 
You decide what's right for you. Are you gay or are you straight? Are you going to get married or are you going to have kids without getting married? Are you going to raise kids because being single? Are you going to get divorced or not divorced? Are you going to move across the country or not move across the country? Are you going to go to college or not go to college? So we have this epidemic right now of young people who say they have social anxiety. Have you heard about this? Now, why? Most of us, my age and older, will say, put your big girl panties on and get out there. What do you have to be anxious about? Well, the reason that a lot of them are anxious, as I learn more, is because they don't have a clearly defined path that has been handed to them. You go to high school, then you go to college, or you go to the military. Then you get married, then you have kids, then you get a job, then you get those kids launched, and then you do this and this and this, and then you retire, and then you play golf for the rest of your life. Prescribed. No, no. What we've said to them is, the world is your oyster. You get to choose. And they look around and they go, holy crap. That is a lot of choices. I don't know where to begin. Because they aren't grounded in any values or beliefs they just kind of think they may have some, but they don't know where they came from or why they got them. They haven't connected the dots. And guys, the reason they haven't connected the dots is because they don't know where they came from. They don't know why you do things the way you do. They don't know why you made the decisions the way you made the decisions. Caleb, my son, said, Mom, now I understand why you divorced Dad. He's been angry at me for the better part of 12 years. Since he was old enough to be angry with me, he's been angry with me. He didn't know he was angry with me until he read the papers. And then he goes, now I understand. So now, he's making relationship decisions, but he's connected some dots to why he wanted to make certain decisions instead of other decisions, and now he knows that he didn't have to make the same choices I made. He can make different ones because he understands what he learned from me and his dad and which parts of that he believes in and which parts he doesn't. So if we really want to give our kids a legacy, let's help them connect the dots so that when they look out at this world and the college professor says, you can be anything you want to be, Here's a catalog with 5,000 classes to choose from. Instead of saying, to heck with this, I'm not going to college, they go, hmm, I think I'd be really good at this because Grandpa always told me I was really good at this. Then there's this rule. This one I love the most. Life learning, we call it. And she calls it learning is a lifelong rule. And we know this, that's why you're here, is that as people get older, it never becomes unimportant to learn. Never, ever, ever, ever. Now, there are people who will tell you, I don't have anything left to learn, I'm done. God's going to take me home soon. Please take me home. And they've stopped learning. These are people sitting in... Nursing homes and assisted livings all around, in front of the television, ready to go. They have literally 
consciously anyway stopped learning, okay? Now, some people are living in their own home doing this, but not a lot, I don't think. Now, what are they learning? People are increasing their intellect, so they're coming to classes like this, they're going to college classes, they're going to VOTEC classes. People are learning human skills. In other words, how to communicate with other people, how to deal with the younger generation, how to get better at being a spouse, how to get better at being a neighbor. People are learning values and leadership skills. People are going and mentoring kids and volunteering at organizations in leadership positions, and they're learning how to do that more effectively. And they're learning technical skills. These are the ones most of us are not excited about learning, but more or less must learn. Yes? Chris went out. We helped a client move to Concordia recently, and she had some technology challenges. Some of them were um, just, you know, hooking up surround sounds and things like that. And Chris said, I'm going back out uh, the next day to Dee's house. And I said, what for? And he said, well, probably to show her that she turned the wrong remote off first and that if she turns it off first, nothing else works. But if she'll turn this one off first and then this one, then it will work. I said, you're going out there for that? He said, yes. I said, okay. So he went out there. He was out there a little while. He did a couple of other things, too. I said, how'd it go? He said, well, I explained to her how she had to turn this remote off first. <laughs> and she goes, oh, now I remember you told me that. Technical skills. We have next to our chair in our living room four remotes. <laughs> because he knows how to use every one of them. And which one to turn on first and off first and so on and so forth. I choose to read because it's too flippin' complicated. And if I want to watch television, I wait until he's watching television, and then we watch television together. It works, unless he leaves me or dies. Then I just won't watch television. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because here's the thing. You have to learn technical skills now to be able to watch television. You have to learn technical skills to be able to use a telephone, even your home telephone. I have people who say, you didn't call me back. You didn't call me back. Jake will say, Nikki, I called them six times, and I left six messages. The reason they don't know is because they don't know how to check the voicemail on their landline. Technical skill, right? Technical skills. We've got to learn them. We've got to learn them if we're going to survive, okay? So let's finish up with this little thought. We all get to write the next chapter of our book. Every single person in this room is capable, able-bodied, intellectually capable, physically capable of writing the next chapter of their own book. What will it be? Will it be by default? Are you going to just write the chapter that says, well, whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do? Or are you going to go in contemplative mode and go, what is it that God's calling me to do? Right? Because chances are, God's calling you to do something. You're being inspired in some way, shape, or form. But we have to listen to that and ask ourselves, what is it? So are you going to write the next chapter about visiting some place or someone? Are you going to write it about becoming something or someone? Are you going to master something? 
Are you going to create something? What is your intention? And when I say chapter, this trips people up sometimes when I'm coaching with them. The question I got most recently was, how long does the chapter need to be? How long do you want it to be? Well, what do you mean? Uh, it's your book. If you want to learn how to play guitar or scuba dive or build a forever home or write a book or become the very best grandma or grandpa that you could possibly be, or learn to ballroom dance, or get into a new relationship, or get out of an old relationship. How long do you think that chapter needs to be? Well, if you're going to learn to play guitar or scuba dive, then you can kind of set some parameters, right? You can say, you know, I'm going to give myself a year to learn the basics about this particular hobby, right? Or you can say, I'm going to give it a month. And I'm going to practice for a month, and if I don't like it, I'm going to quit and do something different. Chapter. Tried to play the guitar. Sucked. Moved on. <laughs> Next chapter. <laughs> That's mine, by the way. <laughs> I had a really pretty blue guitar that I bought in Las Vegas. Went back to Florida, decided to take lessons, took lessons, decided my fingers are too short, so I quit. Found out later that you can buy guitars with smaller necks. <laughs> Who knew? By then, I had moved on to the next chapter. Everybody's chapters are going to be different, right? But guess what? Could I write that chapter, and then when my kids or grandkids look at it years later, they go, oh, Nini tried to play the guitar. Her guitar was blue. I, I like guitar. Maybe I should try to play the guitar, right? You never know what your grandkids are going to read into that chapter, but it's part of your life that unless you tell them about it, they're never going to know. So what is your next chapter going to look like? I was recently, uh, Chris and I went to Florida for vacation a few months ago, and we visited a friend of ours who actually were business coaches first, uh, he and his wife both, and they later became good friends, and now we visit them when we can. And we were, uh, went to their house, they had just moved from, they had moved from Vail, Colorado, built their forever home in Bonaire. His health uh, was declining, he was in his 70s, and they decided they needed to be in the states where they could get good health care if he needed it. So they sold that house, built a house back in Colorado, in uh, another part of Colorado, and then his health uh, as a result of his breathing, he was having trouble breathing in the dry air in Colorado and the elevation, they decided to move to Florida. So they built a, or bought a house in Florida. So we went to visit him there. And I said, so, so Art, are you enjoying retirement? And he goes, well, I was, but now I'm a painter. Now Art's 80, 81, 81, I think, yeah. And I said, a painter? surprised me. He goes, yeah. He goes, I decided now I'm a painter. And I said, well, how did you make that decision? He said, well, Anna's been doing glass work. She's been doing a lot of work with glass and art and whatnot. And he said, and I decided that wasn't my thing. I was let that her be her thing. But I started doing some painting. And he said, I was doing pretty well, and I was getting pretty good at it. He goes, but then I realized or read somewhere that to be a true painter, you had to be able to paint faces. 
So I've taken on my next project is to be able to paint faces. And he had a canvas up in his house, I had noticed, with a part of a face that he had started on. But I had no concept as to why he was doing that. And he said, so when I get really good at painting faces, then I'll know I'm really a painter. So we went from how is retirement to I'm a painter. And it triggered something in my mind. That's his business card. And then Marilyn gave me the business card or shared with me the business card of one of our attendees and a gentleman that does a lot of freelance writing for me, Eddie Roach. He retired from the Oklahoman as a writer, does some freelance work. But now his business card says freelance writer and volunteer for Villages OKC. That's who he is now. And so interestingly, a lot of people retire and they get rid of their business cards, right? They trash them. Or we trash them when we help you move. 23, 4, 5, 50 years later. By the way, it's okay to throw the old business cards away after you retire. I promise. It's okay. It's okay. Because you need a new business card. Now, uh, you guys have probably heard the term. I had not. I mean, I've heard it. Have you ever said, what's your call? Have you have a calling card, right? A calling card, right? Okay, calling card. This is an, I, I did a little research, and by the way, there's an article I found online, so I made it into a PDF and printed it for you guys, and Jake and Shannon back there waving at you. She has a copy of the article printed, if anybody wants it, on the history of calling cards. It's a short article, but this is the calling card of Oscar Wilde when he got out of jail, out of prison. Yeah, it was in the article. It's, it's the story. And I thought, how interesting is that? And so I read about what a calling card was. And back in the day, in Europe especially, even women had calling cards. Even if they didn't have a, a business or a job, they had calling cards. And everyone had a calling card. And when you would go and you would call on someone at their home and they weren't there, you'd write a note on the back of your calling card and you'd leave it with them. If you came to visit and somebody offered to have dinner or drinks or tea, you come and you have tea and you leave your calling card. And then it was customary for them to return the favor by calling you and letting you know by contacting you to come to their house, and you would reciprocate, okay? Hence the reason that everyone had sitting rooms, right? And why some of you have formal living rooms that nobody sits in. It may be because you don't have a calling card. No, we're giggling, but think about it for a second. If you don't invite somebody over to sit in the living room, why would you need a living room? My great-aunt Sylvia had a living room, like many of you do. We walked in the front room. To the left was her formal living. Beautiful furniture, decorative items, very ornate. Her, her formal dining room was always set beautifully uh, in the, on the end of it. And I would come over to visit her, and being in the generation I was, I wanted to go in and just plop down in the den where it's comfortable. But instead, she would invite me in, and we would turn left, and she would say, sit there. And I'd be like, okay. I'd sit there, and I'm like, this feels very proper, right? Very uncomfortable for me. 
but that's where we would visit because that was customary for her. So calling cards, right? What if we all had a calling card? And what if you had a calling card? What would you put on it? In the article, it talks about calling cards. Some of them were very plain like this in the early years, and then they got more fancy. They got more ornate. And some of them were color, and some of them were, you know, like in the shape of a fan or something like that. A lot of calligraphy. And, but they were very personal, very personalized. So your calling card said something about you. So I was talking with Marilyn at Villages OKC this last week about this talk, and she and I were just kind of tossing ideas back and forth, and as we do. And she said, uh, Nikki, you know, I like that idea about the, the calling card thing. We at the Villages have been thinking about doing a business card initiative. Now, this was before I knew about the calling card thing. And she said, we're going to help people create their new business card or calling card, whatever you want to call it. That's why you have a handout on your table that looks like a business card. Let me borrow yours, Kay. Looks like this. So if you're not working right now, you don't have a calling card to hand someone, unless you've created one already. So just look at this one and think to yourself, okay, Play with it a little bit. Write down what you would put on your calling card. Most important line on this calling card after your name is not your phone number. It's the second line. What goes on the second line? Okay, Paul, I'm going to challenge you. I knew somebody would say it. Paul said retired. You cannot put retired. Not allowed. Not allowed. But is it because retired doesn't tell me squat. Now, Paul, I know you well enough to say you could put full-time volunteer at OKC Airport, yep. Will Rogers Airport, or a host of other places, right? Full-time volunteer, airport, retired senior volunteer program, pick, pick a place, right? You, you you and Kim could both do that, right? Many of you could do that. Johnny Seiler over here, I went, she, he and Martha, they have a business with their daughter. And we went to uh, the Santa's Market um, a couple weeks ago, and I got to check out their booth, and Shannon bought a bunch of stuff, and I bought some Christmas gifts, and I got these earrings, just show you, yeah, right? And so Johnny has a business card. Martha has a business card. Their daughter has business cards. It's got their business name on it. Johnny's not retired. He is. But he now is an artist. He's a jewelry maker. Right? He's a jewelry maker. His new calling card is, I'm a jewelry Martha, <laughs> Martha, her new calling card is, I'm a marketing expert for jewelry. Who would have thought, right? But how cool is that? Now, let's say you don't have another business. You didn't create another business. You don't want another business. But your calling card says, best Mimi ever. Best Papa in the world, right? Full-time goth student. <laughs> right? Full-time golf pro slash student. Whatever you want your calling card to say, it can say. But it should 
Say who you are now. And if you don't know what to put on that line, then you have some work to do. See? Because every day when we get up, we have to have a what? Purpose. Our calling card indicates our purpose. Your calling card can be full-time witness of God, full-time spiritual counselor, full-time advice giver, full-time mentor. It can be whatever you want. It just needs to represent what your purpose is in this chapter of life. And when you're not doing that anymore, if your purpose changes, you can add a title or you can take that calling card and put it in the trash and create new calling cards with the next title on it. That's okay too, right? I don't need to wait until I help move you to throw those out. It's okay to go ahead and dispose of that chapter of life's memorabilia, if you will, and start on the next chapter. So really the question is, are you becoming the best version of you in this chapter of life? Because your physical, physical capabilities are different than when you were in your 20s. You have lots and lots more up here, knowledge-wise, and maybe not quite as much stamina, right? Your needs have changed, your goals have changed, your, your, your values are probably the same, but you're more clear about them, more convicted about them. And so at the end of the day, you know, to me, I, if, I, if I meet you on the street or in the elevator, we're sitting in a waiting room together and we strike up a conversation or we're on the airplane and I say, tell me about yourself, all you'd have to do is hand me your calling card and say, this is who I am now. You don't even have to talk about who you used to be because, frankly, nobody really gives a crap. I know that. I mean, believe me. Most people do not want on an airplane to know that I'm in real estate. They do not care. They are more interested in hearing about the trainings that we're doing around the country. And so on my calling card, I have three business cards. I have my real estate business card. I have my move management business card. And I have my Nikki Buckaloo speaker trainer coach business card. And depending on where I am and who I'm talking to depends on which card I give out. If I'm on an airplane, I am not giving out my real estate card because I don't want to talk about real estate for the next two and a half hours with a perfect stranger telling me about how the market is in Timbuktu because I don't care. But if they want to talk about education and training and things like that, I'll give them that business card. Right? Does that make sense? So what do you want to talk about? What makes you passionate? What is your best version of you now? And if you don't know, you owe it to yourself to get together with Gaylene or Marilyn back there at Villages OKC or myself, and we'll put you together with somebody that can help you do that. Next month, are you ready? Here's what we're going to do next month, January. I'm going to have a panel of experts up here. And some of them will be professionals, some of them will be peers, um, people who are in the next chapter of their life, which is retirement, but they have other passions going on. And we're going to talk about changing the narrative 
about retirement and specifically getting older. Um, there's something that irritates me a lot, and it's the word elderly. Does that bother anybody else besides me? Because I'm going to tell you right now, most of your grandkids think you're elderly. Some of your daughters think you're elderly. And the word elderly has changed over the years. It didn't used to be a bad word. I didn't used to have a problem with it. But it's being misused, okay? There are lots of words out there being misused. And so what's happening is people are working off of these old textbooks, right? They're working off the old material about what it means to get older. So someone retires and they think that you're elderly. Well, part of that's our fault, right? In this room right here, it's our fault. And we can fix it. But we've got to start telling people what aging really is if it's not that. And so this group of people that I'm going to uh, bring up here have some opinions about it. And we're going to share those opinions, and we're going to share some strategies for how each and every one of us can do better at changing the narrative so that aging is not something that people dread. Because if you wonder why we have a shortage of medical personnel, especially nurses, home health, uh, in-home care, uh, CNAs, etc. If you wonder why we have a shortage, it's because people have a negative perception of people that are older. And they have a they have a fear of becoming older themselves because their perception of what that means is not positive. Now you all have set a good example for the people in your life, but what about the kids who don't have people in their life? The college kids that I sit there in front of every week who are 18, 19 years old, and they think that I'm elderly, and I just turned 50. To them, 50's elderly, you guys. You're ancient if you're 70 or older. And you might as well be dead if you're 80 and older. And I don't say that disrespectfully. I say that's the perception that the young people have. Now, I don't have that perception because I get to hang out with cool people every day that are up into their 90s and above, right? Did you know that right now in the United States, we have roughly 92,000 people over the age of 100? Do you know that that's up from 72,000 in 2010? And do you know that that's going to quadruple between now and 2030? Quadruple. So we have got to change the narrative. We've got to change the way people perceive us as we get older. And in order to do that, we've got to do a little work on ourselves, right? And so that panel is going to talk about that. Okay, lastly, a little bit of housekeeping. The gift. Marilyn, you still have the gift going on, right? Three times a month. That's the group of people who get together in small groups. They go through a binder to talk about your plan for if for some reason you needed to have someone else handle things for you, they could do that. Not just your financial stuff, not just your legal stuff, but everything. Your household stuff. You know, what color nail polish you would want on your toes if somebody had to come in and you were in a coma. I know that sounds insignificant, but it matters to some people. I told my daughter, if I'm ever in the hospital, she needs to have tweezers with her at all times. Because I do not like having hairs between my eyebrows or on my chin. And if I have any, she darn sure better have some tweezers and take care of that stuff. The men in the room are going, seriously? 
right? And somebody better be doing something about your ear hair. Now, I know that sounds silly, but you guys, we don't think about the small details that matter in the moment. And this gift program allows you to be as detailed as you want. You don't have to be that detailed if you don't want. But if I had to hand a manual to my daughter or my son, they would know what I do and don't want at my funeral, or if I want a funeral, they would know who I do and don't want in charge of speaking at my funeral, which is nobody, by the way. So I'm at my own video, and you're going to get to listen to me for one last time. <laughs> and it's going to be funny. And then you're going to cry, and then it's going to be funny, and then we're going to play loud music. And the last song you're going to hear is Toes in the Water, Ass in the Sand, country western music song. Sorry, it's not a hymn, but that's my theme song. So that's what you're going to get to hear. And my son goes, Mom, really? I'm like, yep. <sighs> okay. But if you don't tell them what you want, how do they know? So the gift does that. It takes you through not just death and dying, but even the fun stuff, right? Even the good stuff, pets, the whole bit. We also still have, well, we were full. Uh, I'm told now we have three spots available for the Downsizers Club. Uh, Martha's getting ready to graduate pretty soon. I'm excited about that. The Silers are going to be graduating uh, in the new year. So we're going to have some spots available in January for people who want to join the Downsizers Club. And I would encourage you guys to get ready for next year because it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, did you all have a good day? Did you learn something new today? Yes? Give yourselves a hand. Good. Fill out the eval, please. Either fill it out before you leave and give it to Jim, or if you don't fill it out, make sure you fill it out sometime between now and the new year and get it back to us, please. That's very important to me. And in the meantime, our sponsors are here. They want you to pick up their materials, uh, especially open house stuff. And then that article that I mentioned is back there with Shannon. Be sure. And what I tell you to do when you leave today, give them a hug. They all need hugs. They've worked really hard this month. And I told them all they look like they need hugs. So that's your job today. All right. Whew. Oh, 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 thank you. I'm reminded. Jake reminded me. So uh, the evaluation, if you write something nice on there, we would love to take your picture, just your, your headshot picture back here at this window, Jake, and, and then we'll show you where. I just need five, maybe ten people at the most to do it. And the reason I want to do it is I want to put your picture next to what you say when we market the class, the classes for next year. So that's it. We'll just take what you say on the little eval with the picture of you, and then we'll put it, and we'll do it over there. And if you don't want to be uh, have a picture, we'll put a caricature next to you, and I get to pick the caricature. So, all right. So then... <laughs>